0: Well, good evening again. Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. uh, We're going to pick up where we've left off. No, I did not get a nap in between the meetings. I was hoping I would, but it just didn't happen. So if I fall asleep, you're all free to go. What we're going to be looking at tonight, the reason why this study, I believe, was laid on my heart to go through this return from captivity is because in reading through it and in seeing how God spoke to the children of Israel at this given time, it seemed the most applicable to our day and age. Uh, What we're facing, uh, what we're going through are very similar to the things that the children of Israel faced uh, when they came back into the land. Uh, They were very small people. Um, They had no protection. Uh, They had no sovereignty or authority given to them. Uh, They were dependent upon God for everything at this point in time. They didn't have a wall. They didn't have an army. Uh, They didn't have a a king of their own. Uh, This was something that they were there on behalf of the uh, rulers of Persia at that time. And they were struggling with this idea of focusing their time on themselves and getting their own stuff in order, and and building a home, and trying to reestablish a life there, and serving the Lord. On one hand, we assume that they returned with the express purpose of building the temple, and starting the sacrifices, and getting back to uh, following the Word of God. Uh, When they got into the land, it was a different story. Uh, The moment they faced opposition, they kind of put everything on hold for the Lord, and started focusing on their own needs. And I think that's one of the biggest... uh, difficulties that we have. Uh, do we do things for the benefit of ourselves and maybe our, the family under our roof? Or do we do things for the benefit of the Lord in the building of his church and the growing of the saints? Uh, so as we especially face this trying time in the United States with the election with everything going on, um, I would imagine it's a, a similar feeling to what they had back then You had a a king at the time that was making decisions, and then uh, you would have kings come and go. And uh, the next one would come in, and letters would be written. And uh, it seemed like nobody around Israel liked them, and that they were always a a problem. And that uh, these nations would go out of their way, these peoples would go out of their way to try to make life harder uh, for the children of Israel. And uh, much like I feel today, if anybody finds out that you're a Christian, Uh, they don't try to make your life easier, Uh, they try to make your life harder, they want to see what makes you crack, they want to see what you're made of, and so they bring a lot of difficulties, and in a a sense it's opportunities uh, that God has given to be a testimony where we're at. So in going through this portion, one of the things I wanted to uh, bring out and to share with you all is under such circumstances, what means did God use to speak to his people? He's giving in this portion 9 through 11, as we went through chapter 9, we saw the, the prophecy of the entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Uh, we refer to it as the triumphal entry, uh, where He rides into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of an ass, and He comes lowly and He comes as a meek ruler, something that we don't see anywhere. And as that prophecy was given, it is yet to be fulfilled for almost another 500 years from this point in time. And we'll see in chapters nine through 11, much of it has to deal with Christ's first advent. Uh, 12 through 14 is a second prophecy that Zechariah gives, and it deals with Christ in his second coming. Uh, The question I always have is, why did God choose to tell the people this 500 years or 450 years before it actually happened? What did God intend to accomplish in the hearts of the people when it was spoken to them? Uh, In the same sense, facing what we're facing today How can us, reading back through the history of the children of Israel, how can it affect us? And in what way can God use it to speak to us and to encourage us, uh, to rebuke us, to correct us, to move us, and to do something? So as we look into this, those are the questions we're going to be asking. Uh, What does God have for us to do? Why does God use these particular prophecies at this point in time? He could have... Spoken these at, at other times, but he chose right now in this day of Zechariah when everything was in turmoil. So, as we get into it, uh, we're going to take it uh, kind of chunk by chunk, and we're going to look at portions in the New Testament where we see fulfilled prophecy and uh, to see these things play out. And in the same sense, we're going to try to uh, apply these things to our daily lives. How does this help us? Uh, when we go home, how does this help us in the workplace uh, with the difficulties that we face in our day-to-day life? Okay, let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 10. It's uh, just uh, 12 verses, beginning in verse 1. It says, "Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. For the idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie. And have told false dreams, they comfort in vain, therefore they went their way as a flock, they were troubled, because there was no shepherd. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats, for the Lord of hosts hath visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them as his goodly horse in the battle. Out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail, out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together, and they shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets, in the battle, and they shall fight, because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be confounded. And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. For I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, And their heart shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I will hiss for them and gather them. For I have redeemed them and they shall increase as they have increased. And I will sow them among the people and they shall remember me in far countries. And they shall live with their children and turn again. I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon and place shall not be found for them and he shall pass through the sea with affliction and shall smite the waves in the sea and all the deeps of the river shall dry up and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away and I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name saith the Lord so as we get into this again these are people that are building the temple Uh, they're, they're working real hard They have this difficulty that they're facing in the sense that they have no walls for protection. And um, they have made this turn where they have repented and they have begun this work. Uh, The the difficulty is how does the work sustain itself? That's always the question. Sometimes it's easy to start something. It's another thing to keep going and to finish something. And so here they are at this point, and God's deciding to reveal this certain prophecy of the fact that they will have a coming king. And the king is going to come in a lowly way. And he's giving identification points so that they would recognize this king when he comes. And in all these things, he's explaining the glory that will follow. And in the portion as you read through it with me you'll see all these things that God says he will do. I will do this and I will do this and I will do this and I will do this. Everything that God is doing to encourage the saints that he is going to do it for them. They don't have uh, an option here that to, to go their own way. They've, they've gone their own way and they've found that it has amounted to nothing. And so here they're going to try doing it God's way. And so the same way that uh, we try to make things happen. Uh, sometimes God wants to make them happen and for us to praise his name because of it. So this is just something to uh, encourage us. In the verse one of chapter 10, it's following the thought flow from chapter nine. And everything we see in chapter nine from uh, verse 14, it says, the Lord shall be seen over them and his arrow shall go forth as a lightning and the, tr- and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them And they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and make a noise as through wine, and they shall be filled with like bowls and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land, for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Uh, Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids." These are all blessings that uh, are written to happen in the future. But when we get to verse 1, it's something that he's asking them to do right now. Uh, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone, grass in the field. Verse 2 says, for the idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain, therefore they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. Uh, one of the biggest problems that Israel faced uh, throughout their history was lack of leadership. Uh, it's the same thing with the church. We have a, a shepherd, a, a great shepherd in the Lord Jesus, um, but it tends to be that we follow the wrong shepherds that are here with us on this earth. And the one that jumps out to me right now, just given this day and age, is, is the election. Uh, I am, I've never seen anything like it. Um, maybe those that live through the 60s and you know, with Nixon and Bobby Kennedy being assassinated, JFK being assassinated, maybe it was similar back then, I don't know. But th- this isn't nothing, I've never seen anything like it. The way that people think that I'm going to follow a specific presidential candidate and it's all going to work out for me. The, the hope that we're placing in who wins this election is, is something that I think uh, goes in line with, with what's kind of being said here. Uh, if we have a need, if we have something that we desire that's that's a godly desire, all we have to do is ask the Lord. There's not a matter of, of, well, if this person gets in or if this person gets elected, then everything will be okay. You know, that's not what the Word of God says. And, in fact, in, in James, I wanted to share this. James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, "Ye lust and have not... Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust." One of the things that it seems likely was taking place here for the children of Israel is each of them was asking for themselves. Um, they wanted, perhaps, good crops for themselves. But they weren't asking God to bring rain that it would bless the people. They. This, this word that's used here in, chapter, in verse 2 for idols is a word teraphim. And as we search that word back and we find out what it means, it refers to this idea of, of household idols. Um, and when Tim Marcy came through from Japan and he was talking about these altars that they would erect to their ancestors and things like that, it kind of gave me that same impression. Like they're, they're, they pray to the people for the benefit of their own household, not necessarily praying praying for God to bless uh, in, in any given way, just that they would have reward, that they would have blessing. So one of the things that's, that's interesting, in fact, the, the, the importance of these idols, uh, we found out later through archaeology that it represented ownership. So whoever, whatever child had access to these household idols had the rights to the land and the property. Um, So when we have that picture of uh, Jacob and um, Rachel coming back and Rachel stealing the idols from the house, from Laban's house, and hiding them, um, they believe that actually that that was going to be the rights to the land, Laban's land, in the future. Um, So these are things that would have been, you know, otherwise we wouldn't assume that Laban would, you know, get the boys and chase after them in such a whirlwind. Uh, They were actually very, very valuable. Um, So... It seems that these people, instead of going to God and asking God to bless in such a way, they were asking these, these household idols. And it says that they have seen a lie, they have told false dreams, they comfort in vain. So it wasn't that these idols didn't have any effect on the people. The people were affected. The people felt comfort. The people felt like everything was going to be okay. The problem was it was all a lie, and they were trusting in something that couldn't provide. The same way I believe there are many people that are trusting an election or trusting in a president that cannot provide the things that we're asking for. This is something that only God can provide. And sometimes I think with our view of things, have you ever had a moment in time where you were almost ashamed to ask God for a particular thing? You want something, and there's nothing really wrong with it, but it's almost as if you feel ashamed to even ask for it and as you think about it more it's because it only benefits yourself And you think I just wanna make my life easier you know I find myself doing that sometimes with work if I could just get this contract then everything would be okay that's not true that's a a false dream that's a lie that's something that's comforting in vain that is not that is not the case Uh, there's no peace in in something that can be um, provided in that way and I find myself at times ashamed I don't know if you have uh, similar uh, stories or similar things that uh, perhaps you've asked. Maybe those of you that have been saved since uh, uh, you were little children, I'm sure there were things in the past that, that were asked, but it was an innocence, so it's not, it's not as bad as somebody my age that's uh, foolishly asking for things. What's interesting is that God's greatly concerned with what we're asking for, and I find that sometimes a lot of our prayers have to do with our own personal comfort. And when we look through the New Testament, we rarely see people that were comfortable. And it wasn't that God is not concerned with their comfort. It's that the people of God weren't concerned with their comfort. They didn't ask for those things because they didn't feel they needed them. They wanted to serve the Lord, and the Lord came first. And what they found was when they put the Lord first, everything else was provided for. And we have that verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, it's the same thing here. Ask ye of the Lord. If you need rain in the time of the latter rain, all you've got to do is ask. It seems like a crazy thing, but what happens is we find out whether we really believe and have faith or we doubt the word of God. Uh, it's, uh, the word of God teaches us that we're to live by faith. If God says we ask, then we ask. And if we're, we're asking amiss, it's because we're asking out of the desires of our own lust. And God graciously doesn't answer those things. So as we we, we take what's going on here, these people, even though they were told in Haggai that they were going to be blessed from that day forward, that they were going to have enough, that there was going to be grain, there was going to be enough to provide, they still had this fear that maybe the rain wouldn't come, and so they would beseech these household idols. And the problem was there wasn't a shepherd to direct them. So Zechariah is giving this message, and he's also showing the, the problems that Israel will face. Really, until the Lord comes from this point until the Lord uh, appears on the scene. So, what troubles what troubles them is that there's no shepherd. We're going to pick up in verse three. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats. For the Lord of hosts hath visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them as his goodly horse in the battle. Out of him came forth the corner; out of him the nail out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. Depending on your translation that you're reading from, uh, the word for corner can be cornerstone, and the word for, for nail could be a, a tent peg in some form. Uh, we have the, the picture of the cornerstone that we know very well in the New Testament, that Christ is going to be that, that point, that foundation. One other thing that's interesting is that out of him, uh, the idea of him, speaking of Judah, out of Judah will come these things. Um, Out of him the nail or the tent peg. In a tent uh, back in those days and even in a home, they would have a center post. And in that center post they would drive a nail into it and the thing that was most valued in the home would be hung on that nail. All the glory of the house would would rest there. And so Christ is indeed that nail that all the glory of Israel is going to rest on. Uh, he is the, the cornerstone, everything that it's going to, this idea that the picture we see is that everything is being placed on top of Christ, the Messiah. And the, the Lord is able to bear all those things. And it says here, he is going to be uh, the battle bow. He is what is, is going to be their strength. They're not going to win these victories because they have a, a greater army. Uh, they're going to win these victories because uh, Christ is there. It says, out of him every oppressor together, uh, the way that it's written could be seen as out of him they will send out every oppressor, meaning there, w- there won't be any more oppressors in the land. He's going to send them out. So the idea that not only is he the foundation which everything rests on, he is the glory of Israel, he is the strength of Israel, and he is the victory for Israel. Everything that Israel has is going to rest on this one individual that comes out of Judah. One of the things that they struggled with was what what to do uh, to defend themselves. Uh, They were constantly worried that one of the leaders of Persia would come and say, okay, you need to stop, uh, which did happen, Um, and they were constantly afraid of that. Um, But here, the Lord is trying to encourage them, this idea that there's going to be a time where they they don't have to worry about those things. That the Messiah will come and everything will be put in its place. And it should give them a sense of peace. When we have the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again, and he is going to judge perfectly, and he's going to set everything right. And those that have had faith in him, he is going to take and, and to be with him for all eternity. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more n- nothing like that. Does that give you peace? Or do we still find ourselves anxious? Because if the people back then were like us, they're probably still anxious, <laughs> even though they hear these things. So the Lord's going to continue in verse 5. They shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be confounded, and I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. Uh, One of the things that jumps out is this idea that he he mentions um, in verse 6, Judah and Joseph. Joseph. Uh, the idea of both the north and the southern kingdoms, uh, they're going to be united. Uh, it's not something where uh, there's only a particular... There's a lot of teaching in, in the world, as far as history goes, that uh, when the ten tribes were taken away by Assyria, that they're kind of lost forever. Um, they call them the ten lost tribes of Israel. And there is a very firm belief that they didn't uh, ever come back to the land, even though In the New Testament, we have a number of those tribes uh, represented uh, by certain individuals. But um, there's this this picture here where there was still great concern that Israel would never be brought back to what it was, um, where they were recognized as truly being blessed of God. And God is telling them that not only is he going to just bring this small group back, but he's going to restore everything to them. That it will be as though they were never cast off to begin with. Um, Again, that's something that that God is laying out that should encourage the people um, at this time. And it begins in verse 6, all the things that God will do. It says, I will strengthen. I will save the house of Judah. I will bring them again to place them. And the reason that he's going to do this is right here, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. Uh, he's not doing this because they're going to earn it. Uh, he's not doing this because they're going to work real hard and they're going to uh, uh, almost obligate God into doing something. And we, we heard a, a great message from Ken Daughters on that in, in Galatians. And if you if you weren't here, uh, do look it up on online, um, Ken Daughters in Galatians in the morning and evening. And one of the things that we struggle with as children of god and just in general is this idea that sometimes we have this attitude like he he gave the idea that uh, you know god you may have been wondering why i've been so good this last week and it's because i have something that i'm gonna ask of you and hopefully because i've been so good this last week i'll get what i'm asking for and god's laying out right here it, it's not a matter of them achieving anything but God's going to do this because god's gonna show great mercy to them um, something to, to, in a way, encourage encourage them as well. Picking up verse 7. They of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as through wine, yea, their children shall see it, and be glad their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I will hiss for them, or I will whistle for them, and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased, and I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again." One of the things that my dad tells me now that uh, he has uh, grandchildren that he didn't realize before is once you become a, a grandfather, you, you do have these ideas of what the family will become and, and what, the, what the grandchildren will turn out to be and, and the future to that point. Um, you know what, were, what will their kids be like and what kind of family name uh, will we be able to uphold in some form and uh, I had never thought of anything like that before and, uh, but when he presented it it makes sense like we wonder with Noah and Benjamin uh, what they're really going to be like um, are we going to be able to raise them in a way to serve the Lord are they going to trust Christ at an age and, and have a firm conviction of the word of God Uh, Will they have a desire to serve God or serve themselves? Um, It's a concern. And here, God is laying out the fact that not only is he going to bring all these people back, but he's going to bring them back so that there will be gladness, that there's going to be joy, that these children uh, are going to turn again to him. And it's going to be an increase. Um... It's a very pretty picture that God's painting for the people. You've got to remember, every day they're waking up and they're going to work on a, a temple. And as they're working on the temple, they have a lot of people that are older there that are telling them every day, maybe uh, before this, how this temple's not as good as the temple that was here before. Uh, the temple that Solomon built, that was a great temple. This, this, this really doesn't live up to those standards. Uh, So they're going to have to get up every day and be working for something, and God is giving them something to work towards uh, in the same way that he gives us things to work towards. Uh, Like it or not, we're going to spend eternity together if you've trusted Christ. I don't know if that's a bombshell to anybody, but uh, we're going to be together. Uh, We have this opportunity to to work towards something that's going to last for eternity Um, the same way that they were working towards something that was going to be a home for generations to come, uh, something to motivate them. In verse 10, it says, I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, and place shall not be found for them. And he shall pass through the sea with affliction, and shall smite the waves in the sea, and all the deeps of the river shall dry up, and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord." Um, there's going to be no opposition he's going to uh, dry up the rivers he's going to beat the waves down it's going to be a smooth return it's not going to be difficult for the people when they come back. Uh, this is something that the, the Lord is going to do and in doing that he is going to put down those that have oppressed them in the past <clears throat> Okay, so as we finish chapter 10 we're going to try to, we're going to we're going to get through chapter 11 and we're going to finish this prophecy um, we're going to continue in uh, the first three verses. It says, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl for a tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O you oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled. A voice of the roaring of young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Uh, we have this uh, picture of destruction that's moving through these places Um, things being laid waste. Uh, There's many commentators that believe that this is a picture of the the Romans coming in AD 70 as they came uh, to destroy Jerusalem. They were very brutal to everything that took place around and wanted to make sure they uh, did a good job. Uh, That's what they believe this this is really speaking towards uh, at this juncture. And the reason why uh, we have in verse uh, 4 through 17 that's going to be laid out. So verse 4 it says thus saith the Lord My God feed the flock of the slaughter whose possessors slay them and hold themselves not guilty and they shall sell them uh, and they that sell them say blessed be the Lord for I am rich and their own shepherds pity them not for I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land saith the Lord but lo I will deliver the men every one into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king and they shall smite the land and out of their hand I will not deliver them uh, so we just went from this beautiful picture of, of everything that's going to be taking place to something that seems um, is a hindrance to that picture, this idea of following after foolish shepherds, shepherds trusting in foolish shepherds. And God is telling them uh, this idea is, is feed the flock of the slaughter or feed the flock that's going to be slaughtered, uh, this, this idea that this flock is moving in such a way that they're moving right towards the slaughterhouse, um, following these shepherds and the possessors slay them and hold themselves not guilty they that sell them say blessed be the lord for i am rich these shepherds are after themselves um i tell that to, to people about the government today if you think the government did this to help you then you know you're you're being misled uh, that is that is not their intention um they're doing it because it profits them. They're doing it because it, it helps them uh, maintain something. You may not know what that something is, but they're doing it for their own reasons. Uh, we have that here. These shepherds are only doing these things. They're only feeding the sheep so that they can be fat enough when they kill them, make more of a profit. Uh, verse 6 is interesting, um, what it says. It says, I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord, but, lo, I will deliver the men everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king, they shall smite the land and out of their hand, I will not deliver them. Um, There's one portion I wanted to turn to. You don't have to turn there, but it's in uh, John 19. John 19 verse 13, it says, it reads, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth And sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So here, God is delivering the children of Israel into the hand of their king, Caesar, who they claimed openly. Uh, We know that the Romans in, you know, about 35, 40 years would come and would destroy Jerusalem. And here we have in in verse 6 that prophecy uh, being fulfilled in Matthew. I have this one written down. It says, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. We have this portion where God has given them a choice to either follow the true shepherd or this foolish shepherd. And it says that they have chosen this one. In verse 7, it says, I will feed the flock of slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. And I took unto me two staves, the one I called Beauty, and the other I called bands. and I fed the flock. Uh, so here we have Zechariah uh, acting this out. Uh, this is, uh, as we would see it, as a charade. Uh, so he, Zechariah is picking up two staffs, and he is playing the part of this shepherd. And we see here, <clears throat> he, he, ha- he names them both Beauty and bands, and he f- feeds the flock. In verse 8, it says, Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Then said I, I will not feed you. That 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 dieth, let it die. And that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat everyone the flesh of another. This idea in verse 8 of three shepherds that he cuts off in one month, there's a number of different uh, opinions that people have, but the most common opinion is that it represents the idea of the prophet, priest, and king, the three offices of leadership that were supposed to be present for the children of Israel, uh, that that's going to be uh, eliminated, um, which we see that now they, have, they don't have any offices like that. There is no priest, uh, there is no prophet for Israel, and there is no king. And it says here that <clears throat> God has made this choice that uh, basically he's going to let die what's going to die. And we see in A.D. 70 um, Jerusalem being destroyed, all those that were there. And there's many accounts that are written of people that um, indeed eat one another um, to try to hold out before the, the Romans did arrive. Uh, so we see this in that sense being fulfilled. Uh, in verse 10 it says, I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder that I might break my covenant with, uh, which I had made with all the people. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Uh, So there are those that do recognize what's taking place, um, and God chooses to pick them out as those that are the poor of the flock. They're able to recognize what's going on. I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Um, Value is, is, is assessed in two ways for the person buying and for the person selling. To me, it's not that inconceivable that one of the disciples would choose to profit off of turning in the Lord Jesus. What amazes me is that they would turn him in for such a low price, somebody that the high priest and those wanted to be done away with. Uh, We know from uh, the law that 30 pieces of silver is the price that you would give for a slave that had been gored, uh, that wouldn't work again. Um, somebody that was really kind of uh, made useless. Um, that was the price that this slave was prized at. Um, if they were a healthy slave, they would be worth twice as much. Um, but here, what's interesting is that the price that was given for it. Um, we see this in, in Matthew 27 uh, in its fulfillment with, with Judas. And it's just a... It says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Uh, So we have that prophecy being fulfilled here in what we see in Zechariah. Again, we ask ourselves, why is God telling the people this? Out of everything that he could have told them about the Lord, about the Messiah, this is what he chooses. And this is what we have to see the proof of God's word going back and forth. Uh, for a people that's struggling, for a people that's having a hard time, we saw the, the good stuff, all the things to hope for, all the things to work for, uh, and now we have this uh, depressing picture of, of following after a foolish shepherd instead of the true shepherd. And I think it's to warn us. I think it's to open our eyes. I think that this people at this point in time were, were so afraid that that was going to be them, that they made sure that what they were doing was according to the Word of God. And in the same sense, we should be doing the same thing. There's so many people that are uh, jumping on a, a bandwagon of a particular candidate or a pol- political party. Um, this is a time when we need to consult the Word of God to know what to say and, and how to say it and how to live our lives. And it's, it's crazy now, the questions and the, the comments that uh, take place uh, in a grocery store line. Uh, People asking about the election and and what you think and who you're going to vote for and, uh, well, how do you feel about this topic? And, uh, you know, if you like a particular candidate, then you must be all of these things. And if you like this candidate, then you're probably all of these things. Um, We're followers of Christ. Uh, We should be seen under uh, our, our, our shepherd, the one that we're following. So the one thing that I think is being brought out in this portion is that he's showing them that even though God is going to do all these things, they're still going to to be deceived. In verse 14, it says, Then I cut asunder mine other staff. Remember, Zechariah is acting this out, throwing the 30 pieces of silver. He's already cut one staff into pieces. He's got his other staff there. And he says, Even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee, yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his right arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. one of the things that I wanted to read that in the NASB uh, this idea of of this this foolish shepherd he says in verse 16 I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing he won't seek the scattered he won't heal the broken and he won't sustain the one standing Uh, he's going to devour and in this portion we have what a true shepherd is it's the opposite of these things we have a shepherd that cares for the perishing. We have a shepherd that seeks those that are scattered. We have a shepherd that heals the broken. And we have a shepherd that sustains the one standing, Um, not one that wants to tear us down. In all of this, God pronounces a woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his right, his arm." and upon his right eye and his arm shall be cleaned dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. A lot of people think that this is a, a direct reference to the Antichrist uh, that is wounded. Um, they think that this is a, a picture of that, the right eye and the arm, um, that, that that is the true false shepherd that leads the, the people astray. That sums up uh, this prophecy that Zechariah is given. Um, basically that God has all of these things he's ready to do, but at that point in time, they're going to follow a false shepherd instead of the true shepherd. And like I say, I believe he's doing that. They, they would be diligent in searching the word of God and, and figuring out why they do what they do. Why are they building the temple? Why do they care to continue the sacrifices? What is the purpose of returning to the land? Uh, in the same way, when we look at ourselves, why are we here on Sunday? Why do we call ourselves a fellowship at Claremont Bible Chapel? Uh, We call one another family, brothers and sisters. Uh, Do we treat each other like family? Um, There's a lot of things we have to ask ourselves. Do we just do this um, because it's convenient or because it's comfortable and it's what we're used to? Or do we do it because we have strong convictions from the Word of God? Um, We don't want to be led astray. And I think one of the things that uh, the Lord is encouraging us, even as he speaks from... Uh, Zechariah is to, to be diligent and to seek out the truth, to realize that everything we have is by his grace. Um, and the purpose that we have to be co-laborers, to build the church, to encourage one another should be first and foremost. Uh, I thought what Nick shared uh, goes right in line with, with what we're speaking on tonight. This idea of the purpose that we have and the task that God has called us to. When we pray to God, are we asking things for ourselves or our own family? Are we asking them on behalf of the whole? On behalf of the body. Um, These are just things to think about. You may be doing all of these things, and if you are, praise the Lord. You're the ones that are uh, standing, and the Lord will sustain you. Um, For those of us that may be uh, broken or need healing or have been scattered, um, the Lord will come alongside because He's a good shepherd. Uh, So I just wanted to encourage you all, and as, as we get into this next portion, Zechariah 12 through 14, uh, we get his, his second Advent, and it's, uh, it's really good. So we'll look to that when we get there. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee uh, for Your Word. We do thank Thee for the comfort with which it brings. We pray that we wouldn't find comfort in anything else, uh, that we wouldn't be those that uh, trust in other things or that follow false shepherds. Uh, Father, we pray that we would follow our true shepherd, uh, one that has given us everything we should ever need. Uh, We pray that we would be those that uh, love the saints uh, with a fervent love. And, Father, that we would be those that encourage and build them up. And we pray that we would not hope in anything else but the coming of your son, for he alone can make all things right. Uh, We look to him through this week, and, Father, we ask for strength uh, as we live day to day in this world, that we would live it uh, to your glory. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.